Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line this week, we've got a much more healthy Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Yeah, well, I'm able to breathe, so that's... Uh, well, that, that's a positive. That's been a bit of a, a changing uh, compared to last week, so now I'm in a much healthier state, which is um, which is good, because, yeah, no, I wasn't feeling, feeling the best, clearly, so no, all, all good from here on in, hopefully. So you're able to do the 3K in under nine minutes now, like you used to be able to, Caddy? <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't have thought so. I'd be lucky to ride a bike three k. <laughs> I, I would have thought so. Um, no, no, but yeah, slowly getting back to to full health. So no, all positive. Oh, very good, mate. Glad to hear you're on the mend, and I'm sure all the uh, the listeners will be glad to hear that also. And you've timed it nicely, Caddy, because you're back in full health for a couple of game sevens. That the greatest thing in in sports is no doubt a game seven, and we're we're very fortunate to get two of those tomorrow. So we'll. We'll start it off with, uh, in the East, the Game 7 between Boston and Milwaukee. And, and what an incredible series this has been. It was Boston uh, winning on the road, uh, 108-95 in Game 6 yesterday. And just a couple of all-time games uh, by by the stars from both teams. Tatum had 46 points, uh, 9 rebounds and 4 assists for, for Boston. He was 17 of 32 from the field, including 7, as, seven of 15 from 3. And then Giannis, just, he's had an incredible series, but it was 44 points, 20 rebounds, 6 assists, 14 of 30 from the field. Incredibly and importantly, I think, uh, for Giannis, 14 of 15 from the uh, free throw line. But he joined Shaq and Wilt as the only players ever with a 40, 20 and 5 assist playoff game. So, yeah, just incredible numbers he's put up. So, so Caddy, we're going to Game 7. It sort of looked like Milwaukee had obviously taken the upper hand when they... Pinched game five, they came back at the end, but Boston bounced back strongly uh, in in game six. That they were seven and seventeen to forty three from from three point land, and Milwaukee was only seven from twenty nine. So that to me was was the difference between them in, in game six. But so how how do you feel about this one going into game seven, Caddy? I know you've been pretty bullish on Milwaukee since the start of this series. Are you now starting to swing over towards? potentially Boston winning this series, given they've got home court advantage? Are you going to stick fat with the reigning champs? And obviously, you know, on the back of Giannis's form, can you see them getting across the line in Game 7 tomorrow? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a cracking series so far, and I think I've probably predicted the the wrong result. And I'd say probably the last three games here, because, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think we probably, at some stage through the, through the series, hoped it was going to get to seven games, but it was, yeah, not quite the way it's, yeah, it's obviously got there, but probably with unpredictable results. With um, you know the the away teams winning, um, yeah, on the road, which has been been incredible, and um, yeah, it's so unpredictable. And I think I, I probably thought with Milwaukee going back to back home for Game Six after you know a really stirring win um, in Game uh, Game Five there in Boston, I thought, oh, surely the momentum's there. But you know, Jason Tatum had other ideas, and is certainly now really, if there was any questions about his elevation into sort of superstardom land, then I think he's certainly put uh, put that to bed now because I think his performance is here on the big stage against a really a, a terrific team and um, a wonderful defensive team has certainly uh, elevated him into that stratosphere where he can certainly be um, be named amongst those real champion players in, in the in the league and you know, that uh, performance in game six, 46 points and nine rebounds was just outstanding and. You know they have to be favourite now going home. Um, I think just looking here, got the odds at a dollar forty six for Boston, two eighty Milwaukee. Jeez, I mean, that's still short. Dollar forty six. Yeah, I think you'd be brave taking 
taking the shorts there, whether, you know, I'm not sure what the line would be, but uh, that wouldn't be more than two or three points, I wouldn't have thought. But, yeah, 280 for Milwaukee's um, pretty generous, uh, I would have thought there. But, um, yeah, clearly the the lack of not having Chris Middleton starting to catch up with Milwaukee, they're just, yeah, probably not getting as much out of their role players like Grayson Allen in particular is the one that's probably gone off in particular and, yeah, too much reliance, as, as we probably thought at some stage, would have gone on to Giannis and he's he's doing everything he can but just needs a bit more offensive support um, at this stage for them to proceed past this Game 7. Oh, no doubt. And that was going to be my question to you. When, when you look at the, the, the stats for the series, Giannis is averaging 35 points. Drew Holiday's just been asked to carry a lot more load than than I'm sure he feels comfortable doing it, and and no doubt the Milwaukee coaching staff do as well. And he's averaging 21 points a game. You, you go back over his last three games, it's 17 points, 7 of 17 from the field. Game 5 was 24 points, 9 of 24 from the field. And Game 4 was 16 points, 5 of 22 from the field. So... As I said, he's just been asked to, to to take too many shots. He's never been the most efficient player going around Holiday, but they certainly need somebody to step up behind Holiday to 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 fill that scoring void. You're obviously not going to be able to do exactly what Chris Middleton can do, but looking across their roster, Caddy, you, you highlighted Grayson Allen. Now he's he was over four from three, a minus twenty nine in twenty two minutes in game six. He's been absolutely hunted on the defensive end by Boston. So it wouldn't surprise me if he if his minutes are almost cut uh, totally out of the rotation. We could see a you know somebody like a Javon Carter who's had limited opportunities throughout this series, but maybe he just comes on and they say to him, you just go out there and hound uh, Marcus Smart because he's a very good defender, Carter. So that could just be his role just as a defensive ace to come in and, and chew up 15, 20 minutes and just really concentrate on the defensive end. But from an offensive uh, perspective, Caddy. They need somebody to step up uh, beneath both both Giannis and Holiday. Who 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 would you look at and and say is more likely to do that? Is it a Pat Connaughton? Is that a pretty good series? Is it my man Crazy Eyes Bobby Portis that could step up, or even a bit of a left field one, a Brook Lopez who we've seen be again um, a bit exposed on the defensive end, but can certainly score in the post. So who would you be looking at behind Giannis and Holiday to step up and and fill that scoring void? Yeah, I don't think there's really a, a, a standard answer. I mean, I think Connaughton's probably giving everything he can give. I don't think there's more upside than what he's been able to produce in these past few games. And he has been, you know, he was, you know terrific in game six, shooting the 14 points off, you know, a pretty good clip. He's, he's made some clutch free throws in other games um, and some big three-pointers. So I, I think it'd be unfair to probably try and expect too much more from him. He's been pretty consistent the last, what, four or five games here, 13 points, 11 points, 11 points, 13, 14. So that's pretty much what you're going to get from him. Um, yeah, Grayson Allen, as you mentioned, just gone totally cold. He was terrific in the Chicago series. Um, you know, I think he was about 13 points a game there, and he's dropped it right back to five points a game in in this series. So, no, you're right. They've got to find another avenue. Um, look, I, I think it could be Bobby Portis. He's a guy that, you know, when given the license to, to get on the attack, is, is more than capable, um, you know, to put up some put up some numbers. But, um, yeah, I think it's just a, a gaping hole of, of no Chris Middleton is really coming back to to potentially bite them here. And I think it'd be fair to say if you took the second-best score off any of these teams, you know, at, at this stage of the season, it's going to be pretty hard work. So I imagine if, yep. you know, Boston were playing without Jalen Brown, as an example, and they just wouldn't be in this situation, I don't think. So credit to Milwaukee. They've been able to get to this, um, you know, to this Game 7 
you know, and uh, they they didn't have the home court advantage leading into the series. So this is you know effectively how you would expect it to play out if it did go to seven. So they're just going to need a probably a fifty point Giannis night really to be honest to have any chance. And I mean, yeah, the ridiculous thing in the in the previous game was the free throw shooting from Giannis. He fourteen to fifteen from the line. I don't think you're going to get probably that level of um, accuracy again. So yeah, he's going to have to go really deep into his trick bag here to to pull out something um, in this game seven. Yeah, so there's certainly a lot of question marks hanging over Milwaukee's head, but equally quite a few question marks over Boston's head as well. You know, we've got the health of Robert Williams. Is he going to be available for Game 7? He's an important part of their rotation. We've seen Grant Williams, who defended Giannis really well, particularly in the first two games. He's trailed off the longer the series has gone on. Al Horford, who's had some big games, well, you know, he didn't do a great deal in Game 6. So at his age, are these hard... Uh, heavy minutes that he's been asked to, you know, to guard Giannis and then contribute on the offensive end. Is, is it starting to catch up with him? Derek White has started to come good the last few games. Can he continue to his upward trend or will he sort of go back to the player that we saw early on in this series? So there's certainly a lot of question marks uh, over Boston as well. But given they've got home court advantage, I, I was I was keen on Boston right from the start of this this series. So I'm, I'm certainly going to stick with them in Game 7 and, and I'm getting the... The sound that I'm getting the impression, Caddy, that it sounds like you're going to to flip and get off Milwaukee and and pick Boston in Game Seven tomorrow. Is that the way you're leaning at the moment? Well, I think that's you know probably where the you know clearly where the money is. But um, no, look, I'll stick with Milwaukee. I just until they're beaten, they're not beaten. And um, yeah, I mean, it have to be a, a fair momentum swing back to them in this Game Seven. You can only imagine the the raucousness of the crowd in in the TD Garden uh, tomorrow. So. But look, until until you actually get past the reigning champ, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with them and stick with Giannis, um, and hope that they can pull out a miracle. Because I would like to see them, yeah, ha- have a crack at, at going back to back, and at least having a crack at Miami in the next round. Until they're beaten, they're not beaten. That sounds like a Ricky Bobby quote, Caddy. I do I do <laughs> like it though. So we're uh, so I'm sticking with Boston, and you're sticking with Milwaukee. So not not surprising that we're both very stubborn and we're going with our. Uh, pre-series uh, uh, selection. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to this Game 7 tomorrow. For me, Caddy, whoever wins this series is, is going to win the title, and we'll touch on some of the other teams later. Is is that sort of the impression you're getting, or, or have you got somebody else in mind at the moment? Sorry, can you just repeat that one? I missed that. I just, yeah, I said for me the winner of this series is the title favourite in my eyes. How do you feel about that? Um, well, I think so, yeah. I think, you know, these two have probably played, at a, I think, at a higher level. Um, that well, the games have been played at a higher level and more, um, more under pressure and, and more sort of stressful environments, I think, than what Miami's, um, you know, and to their credit, they've done things relatively easy and, and made pretty light work of Philly in the end. Um, but yeah, I think with a few injury concerns on the Miami end, you just don't know what team's going to come out, um, on any given uh, night with their lineup. I think, um, yeah, either of these teams, I think, would be favourite going into that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So we'll flip over now, Caddy, to the other Game 7 we've got tomorrow, Phoenix versus Dallas. And it was Dallas extending this series to a Game 7 with a with a pretty healthy win in the end at home, 116-38. Luka Doncic just continued his incredible playoff run throughout his career. I'll touch on some numbers in a minute, but he had 33 points, 11 rebounds and 8 assists. DeAndre Ayton was really the only one that came to the party for Phoenix with 21 points. But Doncic, on the back of his 33 points, became 
to, he scored seven, he's now scored 700 playoff points in only 22 games, and only Wilt Chamberlain and Michael Jordan have done that faster. So some incredible company to keep there uh, for, for Luka Doncic. And it was Dallas, similar, I guess, to Boston. I mentioned their three-point shooting uh, in their Game 6 win. It was Dallas 16 of 39 from three, and Phoenix only 6 of 18 from three. And that's been the case right throughout this series. Dallas are firing away from three, and if they catch fire, well, the math just doesn't work out for Phoenix. So it's certainly they're in a really interesting position and in, uh, tomorrow, Phoenix, in this game. And I guess it's going to come down to Chris Paul. And, you know, I've spoken, you know, right throughout the season and, and last season when we started doing this about how much I love Chris Paul. But his last four games, Caddy, 9.3 points, 6.3 assists and only f- and four and a half turnovers, which, you know, Chris Paul would usually play three or four games to, to rack up four, four turnovers, but he's been right off the ball. We've seen, as I mentioned last week, uh, your man Reggie Bullock. Uh, we've had Dorian Finney-Smith and even, Fra- and even even Frankie Smokes coming off the bench and just pestering the living suitcase out of Chris Paul. And at his age, Katie, I think it's really started to catch up. And in in uh, you know Phoenix have caught a little bit of a break. They've had that extra day off. Uh, heading into Game 7. That's obviously at home, so they've got home court advantage. But for me, this is precariously placed for Phoenix. Which way do you see this tilting tomorrow, Caddy? Is it going to be another Luca sort of uh, awesome Game 7, which we've seen him do a number of times in the past? I'll just bring up the stat now. He's averaging 39 points uh, when facing elimination throughout his career, which is which is the best average from any player who's, who's had a minimum three games. Uh, three elimination games throughout their career. So will we see another big game from Luca, which will carry him across the line, or are you going to stick fat with the team that's clearly been the best team right throughout the regular season and have home court advantage tomorrow uh, in the Phoenix Suns? Well, I think there's no doubt that Luca's probably going to have an enormous game. I don't know whether you've got the stats there on – you mentioned how many points he scored, but how many of those games has he actually won in those eliminations? Zero. Game seven. So, yeah, so I think um, – I've got no doubt he's going to go large and you know maybe even have a 40-point night. Um, I mean, it was a, a fair old blowout the last game, so it's you know really hard to get a read on this series and Phoenix's form, to be fair, through these whole playoffs. But I think, um, yeah, back at home, Game 7, um, there's too much on the line for them, I think, to, to go out at this stage when, you know, on the back of last year's finals appearance where they've probably been the prohibitive favourite all year. I think they should have too much um, for Dallas um, in this game seven. And as you mentioned, you know, a lot is going to, you know, fall onto the shoulders of Chris Paul to, to to really stand up for them. He's been a bit off in this series in particular. They've they've done a great job against him, Dallas. So he's going to need to put in a, you know, really an all-time performance. Um, and, you know, and also for his own legacy, it's, it's a, there's a fair bit riding on this. Um, he's never, you know, made it, all the way to the finals and and, and and played, you know, at a championship or well, for a championship uh, other than last year. So he needs to, you know, step that up to be able to get back there to, to get this opportunity to win. So I think for him, um, there's so much on the line and I think they'll be able to, to, to get there. They really need, you know, I mentioned the, the, the disparity that we had in game six and through a lot of these games in the playoffs in the three-point shooting. So, so you need a, a Cam Johnson, your man, who you – highlighted as an X factor heading into these playoffs. Mikel Bridges is capable of knocking down the three ball. Jay Crowder, we know, can have a four of six night or he can be over six. So that they need one of those nights where he is knocking down the three ball. Devin Booker, who's had a really good series, you know, he's been 
especially game five, he was great. They they need him to be able to to hit the three. I, they're not going to be they're not going to shoot it thirty nine times like like Dallas are. They're just going to continue to fire fire away and hope that they can knock knock down the three ball. But they need some of these you know periphery three three point shooters to be able to knock down some shots. What about from a Dallas Mavericks perspective, Caddy? You, you know you said that. You know, you expect Doncic to go big, and I certainly do as well. But which guy underneath him do you think needs to come to the party? Is it a Jalen Brunson? Is it Finney Smith knocking down four or five threes? Is it Spencer Dinwiddie, who's probably had a pretty, you know, not probably, has had an ordinary series and, you know, is one who's got some upside? Or, or maybe even your boy, Reggie Bullock. Who, who, who are you looking at underneath Luka Doncic to be able to help him uh, get across the line tomorrow? Yeah, well, it might be the sum of the whole parts as well. But, yeah, they've seemingly each game had a different sort of backup role player. You know, we know Brunson's going to probably be that, that second-tier player, but it's either been Finney Smith on one game or it's been Kleber or it's been Bullock as it was in the last game. Uh, Dinwiddie was, was pretty good in game six as well. So, look, it could be any of them, to be honest. I mean, we've seen big games out of Maxi Kleber off the bench and huge shooting nights. So, you know, he's a guy that if, it, if that can get rolling, he's helped spread the floor so much. Uh, for Luca then to, to get to work in other areas of his game. So he'd be the one I think Phoenix would be most worried about catching fire. I mean, you know, you could probably withstand uh, Reggie Bullock doing what, you know, what he did the other night um, because it wasn't at such a high percentage as what Maxi's been able to do in, in different games. So I think if they, you know, get a huge game out of Kleber, it just, yeah, as I mentioned, opens up the floor so much for their other their other role players. But they, they, they've been, you know, pretty... Um, consistently inconsistent, I suppose, Dallas in terms of, you know, who that second or third guy is and, and maybe that's part of the, the secret to their success. Well yeah, it makes it makes it hard to scout when you're not exactly sure where that where that second sort of offense is going to come from, doesn't it? So as you said, it could potentially be the sum of the parts. I'm sticking with, with Phoenix and it sounds like you are as well, Caddy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you've got to go with them at home in, in game seven, albeit probably gonna to have to withstand another a huge night from Luca. Yeah, well, it's it's not a good place to be in an elimination game, even at home, when you've got Luka Doncic on the other side. But I'll I'll stick with with my man CP3. I'm I'm tipping him to bounce back and have a big game and and get uh, Phoenix through to the Western Conference Finals. Now, the team they will be meeting, Caddy, is the Golden State Warriors, who took care of Memphis yesterday in Game Six, one ten to ninety six. It was Clay Thompson bouncing back after. It's been a pretty ordinary series for him. He was he had 30 points, 8 of 14 from 3. Steph Curry had a very inefficient 29 points. Kevon Looney just <laughs> was inserted back into the starting lineup, Cat. He had 22 rebounds, including 11 offensive rebounds. 11 of, uh, Golden State had 25 offensive rebounds in total. And seven, the Golden State Warriors had 70 rebounds, and that was the most in a playoff game since March 28, 1969, Cat, which is just unbelievable that the – that they uh, broke a record that had been around for that long. Uh, we saw yesterday that uh, in the end it was, you know, Memphis had missed uh, Ja Morant for games five and six. Dylan Brooks was pretty good with 30 points and Desmond Bain with 25. Uh, and Jaron Jackson just continued his really up and down series. We've seen him had some really good games and then some really poor games. And unfortunately for the Grizzlies yesterday, it was it was uh, the, the Ferris wheel was on the bottom floor carry, uh, caddy. He had 12 points, five of 19 from the field. So... Just, just an incredible series, Caddy. It was just so up and down. We've got to touch on the fact that Golden State lost uh, Game Five, one thirty-four to ninety-five. So that was a thirty-nine point 
uh, margin that they lost by, and they're actually down by 55 points at one stage, which is the second largest lead at any point of a playoff game over the last 25 years. So they went from being absolutely thrashed in Game 5 to winning pretty comfortably in the end, drawing away late in Game 6. So... I'm a little bit confused about the Golden State Warriors at the at the moment. I've got a number of question marks over them, including the fact that they've changed their starting lineup. You know, we saw my boy Kaminga come into the starting lineup for for a couple of games. They, they then went back to Looney in Game Five. We've seen Draymond Green offense, especially, be up and down. You know, he had, he was good yesterday. Had 14 points. 15 rebounds and eight assists and then got into a bit of a, a spat with Kendrick Perkins. I don't know if you saw too much of that, Caddy. We've seen Clay Thompson be up and down. He was really good yesterday, but he's had a number of games where he's really poor and he's certainly lost a step on the defensive end. Jordan Poole, who we've sung his praises right throughout the playoffs, had a really good start to this series. His last two games, though, Caddy, only 12 points and three points. Uh, Steph Curry has been up and down. You know, yesterday I said he had 29 points, but he was uh, really inefficient doing that. And then, you know, Porter uh, uh, Otto Porter Jr. has got an injury at the moment as well, which has sort of thrown out their rotation. So there's a number of question marks for me, Caddy. I'm not really sure what to make of the Golden State Warriors. I know you've been pretty high on them right throughout the playoffs. Where do you sit with them at the moment? Are you just sort of backing them in given they've got all this championship equity, or do you have these questions that I have as well about them? No, there's got to be questions. I mean, credit to them for, you know, finding a way to get through the series and certainly assisted by the fact that, um, you know, John Morant wasn't able to see the series out. But, yeah, no, huge inconsistency in their level of performance. I mean, the Game 5 scoreline in itself was just bewildering. And um, I think, you know, they could have you know, were down 50, 60 points during that game. It's just, yeah, crazy to, to even consider that. Yeah, I, I haven't liked the way they've been so... You know, inconsistent with their starting lineup, and just wonder whether you know the players night in night out really know or understand what their specific role is going to be, and and even moving forward into the next series, you know how that how that starting lineup and bench rotation is going to look. I mean, you mentioned Kaminga, who didn't even play, get any minutes after starting the previous couple of couple of games. So you wonder what that's done to his confidence moving forward. Whether they're going to need him at all. I mean, they shortened the rotation um, down to eight players the other night, so quite interesting. I mean, the the rebounding numbers for Looney were, were outstanding, so that's a real positive there. But I think they're going to have to, you know, kind of stick with that formula, particularly if they get the matchup against Phoenix, because Looney will probably have to be out there for those eight minutes, um, you'd, you'd at least think, to compete on the glass um, with a guy like Aiton. So, yeah, no, certainly not sold on anything Golden State have done through that series. But that said, they've done what they've needed to do. You know, they were able to, to get the home court advantage in the end. In the series, being the three seed, and you know Memphis, I think probably got to about where we expected them to. I think it would have been a surprise for most people had they've got all the way through to the the conference finals or further. So I think it's certainly been a a win for them for the season, and and, and lots to look forward to uh, moving forward for them, and and certainly a, a hell of a lot of options um, available to them for their roster. But yeah, back to the Warriors. I think yeah, they're going to have to. Re- Rest up. They get a couple of extra days um, break now with this game seven happening tomorrow. So they, yeah, need to get their feet up. Yeah, and just try and build some some confidence back um, as they head into the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I'm I'm still not sold on them. I've sort of yeah. said that you know through through a lot of the playoff series that I'm not sold on them and what they dished up against Memphis. Um, just certainly, certainly hasn't convinced me at all. So, I'll, whoever they come up against in in the next series, whether it's uh, Phoenix or Dallas, I'll, I'll be selecting 
whichever team they're playing against. I, ju- I just haven't got any confidence. A lot of question marks hanging over the Golden State Warriors for me. J- just on Memphis, you sort of touched on them uh, uh, briefly just before. What, what do you what do you make of their season? I I, I brought up when we did our um, just before the trade <coughs> deadline that, that they were a team for me that I, that I thought should have pulled the trigger and gone after a Jeremy Grant style player because that to me was the one hole that they were missing, like a wing defender who can also <coughs> score. And I thought he might have been able to fill that void for them. When when you look back on this on their season now, and the fact that they were able to get so close to Golden State uh, with Jar Morant out of the lineup, do you think maybe they should have pulled the trigger and and gone for a Jeremy Grant, or do you think it was they they did the right thing? They've ridden out the season, saw how it unfolded, and then maybe now in this off season will be the chance for them to try and improve their roster. Yeah, I didn't mind them sort of holding firm at the deadline and kind of running it all the way through with this group because I think even internally I would imagine that they're probably a year ahead at least of where they would have expected to be. So, um, you know, they've got plenty of options moving forward. They've already made their big extension on Jaron Jackson Jr. So he, he's locked up. But, you know, there's plenty of plenty of other moves that they can make. They had the second least um, salary in the whole competition this season. So, I mean, even that in itself is a, is a pretty tremendous effort being the 29th ranked in, in team payroll. So there's Plenty of opportunities there. Look, I think, you know, the obvious thing to do is now probably to try and cash in a few of the chips that they have uh, to try and land an, a, another, you know, really high-level player to, to put alongside Jar Moran and Jaron Jackson. And, and whether that is sort of packaging up guys like Dylan Brooks and maybe Brandon Clark or even a, potentially even a Desmond Bain to really get that, um, yeah, next-level uh, star. You'd want a big team. fish if you're going to throw Bain out there, wouldn't you? Oh, you would, but you know that's that's probably you know they've shown that they're competing in the top top echelon now of the competition. So it's how long do you wait? You know we know that things move so quickly in the league. Um, so yeah, you know while while they've got the opportunity, it, it might be ready to, to make a really bold move. So, um, but look, I think a lot's going to hinge on the the continued health of Jar Morant and his ability to stay on the court. We know he missed a hell of a lot of basketball this year and the different. Um, Injury types, and we've mentioned a number of times that he's just got that game that lends itself to to risk and and, and injury. So um, yeah, hopefully for them he can you know can can stay on the floor a little bit more consistently next year. And but they, look, they've had an outstanding season, no, no doubt. They've probably exceeded all expectations, and and good luck to them. And yeah, just a bit of a shame the way it sort of fizzled out there in um, in game six. Yeah, it certainly was, and yeah, just the fact that Morant. Unfortunately, got injured for game five and six. As you said, we've, we've touched on the fact that he's very similar to the way he goes about it to, to Derek Rose. And we saw, unfortunately, all the injuries that befell Derek Rose. So fingers crossed uh, that Jar Morant doesn't have that uh, unfortunate bad luck that, that Rose did because he's just such an excitement package. And you know, hopefully for years to come, he's going to be dragging fans all around the world uh, to, to the NBA basketball We'll swing over now, Caddy, to the other series that we saw decided uh, yesterday, I think it was, or maybe even the day before, uh, Miami-Philly. It was Miami closing this out uh, in game six, 99-90. The game, <coughs> the game wasn't as close as that score would lead you to suggest. Jimmy Butler continued his outstanding form, 32 points, eight rebounds, four assists. Maxi Struess stepped up to the plate, 20 points, 11 rebounds, and five assists. Joel Embiid clearly... Not 100% right, but was out there doing everything he could. Had 20 points, 12 rebounds, but 7 of 24 from the field. But all all the focus, of course, goes on to James Harden. He had 11 points, 4 rebounds, 9 assists, 4 of 9 from the field in 43 minutes. 
and zero free throws. So just a couple of stats, Caddy, that I want to throw at you regarding Harden's game that he had in game six. And we've seen, you know, Harden's disappearing uh, act over his whole career throughout the playoffs, but this, this could almost take the cake. It was the first time in Harden's career that he'd played 40-plus minutes in any game and didn't attempt a, a free throw. We've seen him right throughout his career. He's One of his biggest assets is, is his ability to be able to draw fouls and get to the free throw line and earn some easy points because he's a you know high 80s uh, percent free throw shooter. He played almost tw- 23 minutes in the second half and did not score. Uh, that's the most minutes he's ever played in any half of his career without scoring. Um, he, he also only attempted, attempted two shots in that half and had three turnovers. And I'm sure you heard his... His post-match interview when he was sort of quizzed on why he only attempted nine shots for the game, he said, you know, I, I made the passes and the ball didn't find its way back to me. I mean, that's just totally ridiculous for Harden to be to be saying that. And we've seen it right throughout this series, Caddy, that the further the game went on, you know, Harden's impact a lesson. So in second half of games throughout the uh, Heat series, Caddy, he was 9 of 32 from the floor for 32 points and shot only 28% from the field. So... Just a huge question mark uh, heading into this this offseason over what Philadelphia are going to do with James Harden. Obviously, you know, Daryl Morey's got that pre-existing relationship with Harden. He loves him. He traded for him. He gave up Simmons and a couple of draft picks to get him. Harden can opt into a contract. He's one-year player option, or he can opt out and sign a longer-term deal. But there's, there's huge question marks now over what they're going to do with him. Just a couple of other stats, Caddy, I'll throw at you. Um, you know that we we've heard the, these reoccurring hamstring injury, hamstring injuries that Harden supposedly has had. Uh, he shot last, uh, so his offensive efficiency has taken a massive dive. His effective field goal percentage dropped below fifty for the first time in his career. Well, since since his rookie season, and amongst the seventy one players, Caddy who attempted at least three hundred layups or dunks. It was only uh, James Harden and RJ Barrett that shot fifty percent or less. So, you know, all these stats are just basically illustrating to everybody that the the days of Harden, you know, being a, an elite scorer uh, are out the window. And even Joel Embiid come out and said, you know, we can't expect James Harden to be the Houston James Harden. He's not that player anymore. He's, he's now more of a facilitator. So it doesn't sound like, Caddy, when you throw all these ingredients into the pot, that this is the kind of player that you want to be giving a long-term contract to. But given what Philadelphia gave up to to get Harden. They've almost got their hands tied. Which way do you expect this to go? Do you expect Harden to opt into his to his one year deal, or do you think maybe there's going to be some sort of compromise? He signs a four year deal at maybe thirty per year. You know, he gets four for for one twenty. Which 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 way do you see this uh, sort of shaking out in the off season, Caddy? Yeah, well, I mean, there was plenty of. You know, discussion around what this was going to look like at the end of this season, um, even before his performances for Philadelphia, because yeah, it was clearly you know the player option sitting there, and a longer term deal um, would probably be what was expected. And then there was the whole report that he hadn't even um, filed the paperwork in time, you know, that would have made him eligible. What the hell was that about? So yeah, there's been um, some red flags all over the place on this one, and yeah, look, I mean. I think we both said at the time that we wouldn't have been looking to extend him for five years and God only knows how much money in this off-season when clearly there'd been a significant deterioration in his um, performance over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. So, yeah, they're in a, a bit of a pickle here and that's not even withstanding the Danny Green injury. He's torn his ACL and missed the whole of next year. Now, unfortunately for Danny Green, it's now been reported that his uh, $10 million contract wasn't even guaranteed 
for next season anyway. So it looks like that they've got the ability to waive his contract before July the 1st and get off that money. So that's probably a small win in a sense for Philadelphia, albeit you know, they're going to have to find another guy that can defend and, and shoot the ball at his level. But in terms of Harden, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real mess um, for what they're going to have to do. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine Harden's going to be thrilled about only you know opting in for the one year uh, because if he does, I can't imagine what the contract would look like you know, after this season, it could be, you know, really, you know, dire straits for him. And, and God forbid, you know, if he has another sort of flame out again next season, what what sort of low number that, that could be as a free agent in 23-24. So I think you're right. I think his best case scenario is to try and lock in for a, a longer term, whether it is three or four years um, at, a, at a better number um, to sort of at least push his career out in that, you know, major you know, earning capacity. So, yeah, Philly would be, I think, crazy to, to throw the throw the whole thing at him um, after what he's been able to produce in this series. So, where, so where do they actually go in this in this off season? Let's let's say they get Harden locked away for four years, one twenty. I'm, I'm just throwing a figure out there. So, what do they do behind Harden and, and Embiid here? Like Tyrese Maxey, thank God they they got him where they did at around about pick 15 or whatever it was in the draft. They, they got very lucky there. You're looking at, you know, Tobias Harris, his massive contract. Did they look to move that on? Danny Green, you've, you've already mentioned he's out with an ACL injury, you know. Yes, that frees up a bit of cap space, but what sort of player are you going to be able to get for, for $10 million? Are they going to be able to do what Danny Green could do? He's obviously up and down at stages, but he, but he's playoff tested and, and you know he, he can come to the party when required. You know, Matisse Thibel, who they sort of, thought was a bit of a duel for them. You know, he was almost unplayable throughout this series just because of his inability to shoot like, like another Aussie that, we, that we've seen play for Philadelphia. You know, Shake Milton, Furkan, Korkmaz, these guys were, were you know, they came up small when, when really needed. So what are Philly going to be able to do to the, – the, the time's going to come when Embiid looks around. You know, he, he's 28, 20, going on 29, I think, now. He, he's with the injuries that he's piled up over his career. You're not going to expect that he's going to be able to play till he's 34, 35 at a really high level. So he might only have two to three years left at the level he's producing at the moment. So there's going to be a point that if Philadelphia can't surround him with the required players, that he's going to look around and and ask to to be traded out of there. So what do you think Philadelphia caddy need to do in the offseason? Is it maybe move Tobias Harris's contract on? You're obviously going to have to attach a few assets to do that, but do they break up that 40-odd million that they owe Harris and try and get two players at around 20 that maybe fit you know, fit their roles a bit better? Because Harris is basically an overplayed role player at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. I think that's the only move that they've got because they're, you know, their salary cap's already at the maximum and, and you'd imagine that the Harden number is going to be significant, whatever it is. Um, whether it's the opt-in or, or a, a lesser deal. But, yeah, there's, there's actually not much more they can do around the fringes. That, as you mentioned, Tyrese Maxi lucky that he's on his rookie contract um, because if he wasn't, he'd be looking for a, a, a bigger number as well. So, no, I think, yeah, you're right. Harris is the one that they're going to have to try and move, but that's not going to be easy. You know, two years and the best part of $80 million still left on that deal. So, yeah, they're going to have to find a, a willing partner there potentially to give this team a new look. But, you know, even then is is... Harden, Embiid, Maxi, and and some ca- combination of role players going to be enough to compete at the very very top of the East when we're we're, we're seeing now, you know the the Milwaukee Bucks aren't going to be certainly going anywhere. Uh, the Boston Celtics, I think, have really re-established themselves now as a, a real powerhouse in the East on the back of some young young stars. 
So, look, I just don't think it's going to get any easier for Philadelphia and, and um, that really, in the end, could be the end of the, the process in terms of, you know, competing for a championship. Yeah, this this whole process, which has been going on for, what, 10 years or whatever it's been now, is is almost fizzled out now, Caddy. So, yeah, for me, they've got one of the most interesting off-seasons uh, in the whole NBA. We did hear Daryl Morrow yesterday basically confirmed that uh, Doc Rivers will stay on as coach because there'd been certainly some pretty strong rumours that he could be on the outer and potentially on his way to the Lakers, but it sounds like Doc Rivers is going to hold his job for the Philadelphia 76ers, at least for the start of the season. If they start off a bit slow, I'd, I'd imagine that would change pretty quickly. Just flipping over now to Miami, who almost flown under the radar right throughout these playoffs. I mean, what, what do you make of, of Miami at the moment, Caddy? I mean, I'm obviously a Miami Heat supporter and I'm a little bit unsure about where they sit at the moment. They had a pretty first, uh, an easy first-round series against Atlanta. They've come up against Philly where Embiid missed the first two games and clearly wasn't anywhere close to the normal player that he was. And, you know, they've got you know, an under-the-weather or whatever you want to call it, James Harden. So they've they've had a pretty easy run of it so far. They haven't, they, you know, when you, you look at Boston, for instance, they've, they've had to get through Brooklyn you know, with Kevin Durant, and they're now, you know, fighting tooth and nail against Milwaukee. So it's chalk and cheese between, you know, what a Miami and, and, and Boston have had to face so far. You know, Butler's been outstanding, as he usually is, you know, take out last year's playoffs. He, he's always, he always steps up to the plate in the playoffs. So far uh, throughout the, the his first 10 games of the playoffs, he's, he's at 28.7 points a game, 7.6 rebounds, 5.4 assists and 2.1 steals. And he's only the 10th player to average at least 28, 7, 5 and 2 steals in the first 10 games of the playoffs since 1985. So he, he's he's been incredible. But there's some huge question marks for me over, firstly, Tyler Hero. And I, I touched, on the, touched on this last week, the almost over-reliance that Miami Heat have had on Hero at times throughout this preseason to to kickstart their offense when he comes off the bench. Well, he hasn't really stepped up to the plate as all at, at, at all throughout these playoffs. They're certainly going to need him against either a Milwaukee or, or Boston. Kyle Lowry, you know, I spoke last week about he how he clearly didn't look like he's right. Well, he, he didn't even play in the last two games of that series because clearly his hamstring's not right. So they're probably going to need at least a, an 85 to 90% healthy Kyle Lowry with all his playoff and championship experience to to, to get uh, through to the finals in this next round. So there's another question mark there. And and Bam Adebayo, for me, isn't a question mark, but he he hasn't had a really a great offensive playoffs as yet. Anyway, he's, you know, he's, he's done some really good defensive work on Embiid in, in the last series. But, you know, we, we've certainly seen uh, Bam have, you know, much more higher scoring output than we've seen so far. He was only 16.5 points a game in the series against Philadelphia. So there's certainly some question marks for me about the Miami Heat, despite the fact they were the number one speed uh, seed and despite the fact they've got through the first two rounds pretty comfortably. What about for you, Caddy? What, what are you making so far of the Miami Heat? Are they sort of the, the third seed pretty comfortably for you behind a Milwaukee or a Boston? Or can you see them in, in this next series, you know, making it difficult on either one of those teams? Yeah, I think they absolutely will make it difficult. They've, you mentioned they've gone under the radar during the playoffs. I think they've gone under the radar the entire season. And the fact that they you know, ended up with the one seed was a, an outstanding effort. And even now to think that, you know, their starting guard rotation is Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. I mean, it's just no way you yeah. that's what the lineup would have been, um, you know, in terms of a successful playoff run. So the the benefit they've had all season, and, and it's proving to be the case now, is just the depth within that roster 
um, when they've been able to, you know, cover for Cole Lowry when he, he's missed Jimmy Butler at times. Um, you know, Duncan Robinson just been played out of the rotation effectively due to poor form. So, yeah, the fact that they were able to, um, Eric Spolscher was able to look down the end of his bench and, and see, you know, a former All-Star and Victor Oladipo also sitting there to, you know, insert into the rotation has just proven to be a good recipe for them throughout the season and now for the playoffs. So, yeah, as you mentioned, they've done done things pretty comfortably uh, so far. So I think it'd be a bit unfair to label them the third seed when, you know, they're the ones sitting there waiting. Um, they'll have home court as well. Um, so, no, I think they're right in it, um, absolutely. So um, they're going to get a pretty tired um, and exhausted Milwaukee or Boston in the next series. And, and when you looked at that last game, six, both teams pretty much looked out on their feet, um, if, you, if you ask me, particularly the Milwaukee um, players as well. There's so much reliance on their core guys. So, no, I've got Miami as a bit of a sneaky contender here, um, the way that they've been able to position themselves now um, to, for a crack at either of these teams is going to, It'd be really, really interesting to see if they can continue forward. And and we've mentioned, you know, Jimmy Butler has been mentioned so many times about, you know, playoff players that can really elevate themselves. He's clearly one of them and, and he's such a tremendous leader. And I just love the walk-off after the game against Philadelphia when he was basically screaming down the down the tunnel that, they, that they'd that chosen Tobias Harris over. <laughs> yeah, you got to love that. A fair point of it. So, no, I love his energy and love what he's bringing here to a – make this um, organisation a winning one once again. Yeah, well, they're just so tough defensively, so it's going to give them a chance against, you know, either a Boston or a Milwaukee in the next series. But, yeah, they certainly have flown under the radar. But, yeah, whoever they come up against, Caddy, is certainly not going to have it easy at all. We'll finish up, Caddy, just by touching on, on the MVP voting. So we saw during the week that it was not surprisingly announced that Nikola Jokic uh, won the MVP. He finished with 875 total votes. Uh, 65 of those were first-place votes. It probably was a bit more lopsided than what most people were expecting. This was sort of you know, built up, I suppose, as one of the more competitive MVP uh, races we'd seen in quite a few years. Joel Embiid, again, not surprisingly, finished second with 706 total votes, but only 26 first-place votes, and Giannis uh, came in third with 595 total votes and nine first-place votes. So it was only Jokic and Embiid and, and Giannis who got uh, first-place votes. Firstly, Caddy, was clearly not a surprise. We both uh, picked Jokic. Was it a surprise that he probably pulled away uh, by so much in the end for you? Yeah, I think in terms of the first-place votes, I mean, there's a pretty big discrepancy there, 65 to 26. So um, I thought it would have been a little bit closer than that. But I think, yeah, I don't know, with this whole MVP thing, the, the narrative gets in the way so much and, you know, you generally have the storyline going on it, you know, midway through the season and you get a real feel for who's going to win it. So I just wonder whether there's a better way of, of um, you know, getting to the point where we do announce the MVP and um, there's just so much, um, so many anomalies, I suppose, with what happens in an 82-game season um, with these Do we, do we need a Brownlow-style setup, Caddy, where, well, we get, where we get the referees doing the votes or something? Well, that's where I was kind of going with it because I think um, – you know, it'd be a pretty long, boring count if they read through um, all 82 games for each team. But maybe it's a situation where they, they do, the umpires do vote, and then you, you're not getting any... You could imagine uh, Scott Foster would enjoy a bit of me time, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the refs are the ones on the court. They can get access to all the stats. There's no dramas there. But it's going to reward players that are that are playing more often than not. Um, you know, you're getting down to the end of the season, and rather than sitting out, you might be forced to, you know, kind of play because you're in the mix. But... Yeah, I just wonder whether, you know, you can get to a point where they do announce maybe the top five 
leading vote getters with six games or eight games to play and then, you know, have an NBA awards night where they do announce. I, I just hate the fact that they drip feed all these awards over the last couple of weeks. And It's a bit uh, weird how they do that, isn't it? That sort of loses any momentum or any feel. Like the MVP is the biggest award of the whole season and it just, it, I mean, probably probably didn't help that Jokic is no longer playing, but it just sort of felt a bit sort of mare in the end, didn't it? Yeah, I think all the awards do. They all get lost in the in the daily news cycle anyway. Yeah, so I'd prefer like a, a one-night awards, whether it's during that play-in week potentially or whenever they can do it. But well, That's um, probably a good time to do it really, isn't it? Yeah, and then, you know, maybe say, look, these are the five guys that are leading the, the MVP race based on all the votes and let's read through their last six games and see who's the winner. I reckon that add a bit of excitement rather than, you know, just these, you know, these votes that are, that are placed by people that are, you know, really probably not watching every minute of every game, clearly. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're watching most of it, but yeah, it'd be a hard thing to do watching every player play every game and then sort of come up with a, a storyline as to why you voted for that player other than the, the stats. Because you look at it, I think it's going to be hard to see Jokic winning another one, but that said, yeah, there's a chance he'll have the same stats again next year and probably be in a better team. So why wouldn't he win another one? But again, that, it's a narrative, as you said. Yeah, there's no way he's winning another one. Yeah, so I think that's where the whole system is pretty, uh, pretty forward for mine. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, you, I don't know if they'll ever get to the refs uh, doing the doing the votes. You'd imagine like Luca Doncic who complains on every foul on every bloody shot he takes, it probably would never get any votes because they'd be sick of him whinging to him all the time. But I, I would, I don't know what the perfect solution is. But I, I agree. I, it's it's a bit sort of strange that. You know, it gets built up right throughout the season. We hear, you know, there's articles written, there's people talking for hours and hours on podcasts, much like we are, Caddy, about, you know, the voting and who's going to win this award and that award. And then, as you said, it gets sort of drip-fed throughout the playoffs where the playoffs are the, are the biggest story of the NBA season. So why are we diluting these awards by shoehorning them into when everybody's attention should actually be on the games? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I think you nailed it there with doing – maybe an award night or something, or at least announcing these awards during that sort of play-in tournament because you would have all the players still around. You know, usually the Rookie of the Year goes to, not not in this case this year when Scotty Barnes won it, but a lot of the time it's to a player whose team isn't in the playoffs. So, you know, usually they, they go, they go on vacation or whatever they do, but they're, they're going to be around during that play-in tournament because it's so soon after the season. So, yeah, I agree. I think they need to change... Uh, the way they do announce these awards and maybe even vote for them. But just just going through the remainder of the, the top five, Booker finished fourth and, and Doncic was fifth. So there was a clear drop-off after Doncic at fifth with Tatum at sixth. I don't know if you saw all the voting, Caddy, but we, we saw a couple of guys got, got fifth-place votes. Durant got a fifth place, one fifth-place vote. LeBron got a fifth-place vote. And, and your man, DeMar DeRozan, got a fifth-place vote. So was there any... Any voting that surprised you? For me, obviously, LeBron's the one that stands out given they didn't even make the play the play in tournament um, and he missed quite a few games, didn't even play enough games to, to qualify for the scoring title. So he, he was the one surprise to me. Was there anything out of the voting that sort of you know, piqued your interest, Caddy? No, look, I think they were the, I think you mentioned probably LeBron. Um, KD was having a, probably the favourite before he got hurt, so there might have been a bit of a a flow over from, from his early season form uh, for that vote. But no, I think the, the top five, um, Yoki, Jembeid, Giannis, I mean, Devin Booker was probably a slight surprise to be to be that high as, as the fourth player, but, you know, probably rightfully so. So no, I think they 
probably got the the core ten guys there that were the most relevant uh, throughout the season. We're all included, so yeah, no no real arguments from from my end. Yeah, fair enough. I agree. I, yeah, Booker sort of gained a bit of momentum based on the fact that Phoenix was so good in it. And once CP3 went down, he was he was clearly the best player. And he's going to have to be the best player again on the court tomorrow in that crucial Game 7. So we'll call it there, Caddy. As I say, every week, thank you to everybody who continues to download this podcast. If you haven't jump on, jumped on Apple Podcasts yet and given us a five-star rating, please do so. We've also got the Facebook page up and going and every episode gets posted there. So if you like that page, you'll know when a new episode is on. Until next week, we'll talk to you then.